Hello, and welcome to Brody Shoddy, where I'm going to be responding, reacting, and discussing um, my thoughts and interpretations of two papers. Um, one by Brendan O'Neill, um, called Unpacking Gender's Roles in Political Representation in Canada, and a call, to, a call to Arms, the NRA, the Gun Culture, and Women, by Noah S. Schwartz. Um, in this short audio recording, uh, we're going to go over my personal experiences um, that influenced my reactions to these works, um, my thoughts, and generally just my interpretation of the world through the lens of these papers. So first off, we're going to be discussing Brenda O'Neill's um, article. And while going through it, and it's it's on the discussion of women in politics and why there is a disparity in women in politics in Canada, and it discusses the reasons for that. Um, while I was reading this paper, I had a bit of a realization that although in North Bay, where I grew up, there is very few female politicians. Most most of our elected um, politicians are old white Italian men. Um, we have Vic Fideli, who was the finance minister of Ontario for a while. We have Anthea Rota. Um, like it's 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 not exactly a you know super diverse group of politicians, but. When I was growing up, I was raised in a very matriarchal, matriarchal family. Um, my like I always saw my my grandmother, my aunts, my mother as being like the, the leading role in whatever the men were doing. Like that was that was the standard. And a lot of positions of authority, um, influence, and power were in the hands of women. And I I found that very interesting. That as I was going through this, and it was. You know the, the idea that um, one of one of the things that she that Brenda refutes is, or um, Madame O'Neill, is that women don't want to be in these these positions, and it's you know it's the electorate doesn't want them, and you know they're just not interested. And growing up, it's all my doctors were women, all my the vast majority of my teachers, the vast majority of my principals, um, vast majority of. My, my, my large portion of my family works in the school board, so I would, you know, after school I'd be with my mom and she goes to meetings either with the union or um, the school board, and the vast majority of those positions of power were women. There was very few men in those in those areas, and it was very interesting for me growing up. Um, later we'll be discussing gun culture, where I, I was very in in involved in gun culture i would go to hunt camps with my uncles i would go to um hunt camps with my uncles um and uh, <laughs> sorry uncles and grandparents and my stepfather um, parents and it was very jarring difference between those hunt camps where it's all men um lots of alcohol lots of firearms and when I'm in town, when I'm going to school, when I'm going to work, um, when I'm just going about my day, and it's, you know, women in unions, that's, that's, <laughs> women in unions that are school positions, um, and education positions, and so it was, it was interesting for me reading this paper, um, and sort of it dawning on me that it, there is a disparity there, and it is very strange that it didn't occur to me, <laughs> um, and that it didn't, you know, dawn on me that there is such a disparity when, in other areas, there's women in power was not, you know, an odd thought to me, um, and yet it never, I, I without blinking, 
accepted that, oh yeah, the men are politicians, that's that's a normal thing. The fact that we don't have any, there's no female MPs, there's no female mayors, we didn't have any anything like that um, up in northern Ontario, even... Um, like I said, like I mentioned, that my a lot of my family members are union members, and looking back at my friends' parents, a lot of them like um, either weren't weren't unionized or the unions they were in were mining unions, and those those were predominantly male um, male run, and I I think that's interesting that this the way the where I was raised allowed that to happen, and I I've noticed it a few other occasions. Um, uh, queer representation. I've definitely noticed that disparity. <laughs> um, where I grew up, there was there is a lot of queer representation, especially among um, students. Um, like my, I remember being in high school, and there are every student election, there was the, the the vast majority of the victors were either female, or they were queer, or they were both. Um, and that was the norm to me: is that that bisexuality was that they accepted in every every high school I went to. I went to multiple high schools, and that was an accepted thing. People like one of the schools I went to was Catholic, um, and it it was it was very harsh in many ways. And looking back, there was a lot of issues with that school um, <laughs> that that we'll not be getting into here. But you know, every the I remember the grade nine, ten, eleven reps were all females. In my grade nine year. Um, and then when I went to, when I transferred to a public school, um, with the exception of the first year that I was there, a female was the, um, president of the student council and the majority of the student council was made up of women. And that again was seen as, <laughs> I accepted that without thinking of, okay, well, why isn't in, in later, why in more in higher elected officials that are actually, you know, influencing policy in our nation and our province and our region, is that not the case that, you know, it just suddenly drops off to, you know, it's, you know, a 40, 60 balanced woman in favor to no men, men are in charge. And I, I find that quite interesting. Um, it, <laughs> interesting is the wrong word. Um, when I'm looking back on it, in, both in a self-reflective form and is attempting to be as unbiased as possible. And I'm looking at it from an outside perspective. Um, North Bay is was a very positive place to be raised in 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 many ways, where um, and the influence of my parents and my family, where it's very positive influences for um, gender um, parity and representation and queer representation, and it is negative in a lot of respects. But I think that um, O'Neill's closing statements, where here I'm just gonna have a reopen that up real quick. Here it is. So the point that caught my attention in her conclusion the most, and the article as a whole, um, but, quote, first, the economic and cultural context um, can be directly influenced the number of women who step forward and are selected as candidates. And that caught my eye because back home, it's, it's not the wealthiest area <laughs> of the province. Um, a lot of the jobs are tied to... Um, manufacturing and harvesting resources, be that, you know, tourism, fisheries, or logging or mining, and there isn't a huge amount of wealth. <laughs> so, and culturally, it is very rural. Um, the, the vast majority of people live either in very small hamlets or they're in one of the five cities that we have in northern Ontario. 
um, the total population of the North is smaller than that of Ottawa. And so the cult, there is a vast cultural divide um, between North and South that I and other people that I've discussed, discussed the topic about um, have agreed on. And so I think it's interesting that we have, on the lower levels, from my experience of, of growing up, all these female representation, and then it it's still, that, that still doesn't breach, um, I don't want to say the adult culture, because that, that is different from, a bit out of the side of the scope of what we're discussing, but the generational diff gap, I think, is also something that should be discussed, <laughs> um, as well as, yeah, it can be slower to try and bring these parodies forward in poor areas. But again, that didn't, it didn't stop the elevation of queer representation um, within Northern Ontario along the youth. And I think that's interesting and should be discussed um, of the regional differences of Canadian representation. Um, I am a <laughs> Northern Ontario separatist, quote unquote. I believe that Northern Ontario should be its own part, um, its own political entity, either as an autonomous zone within Ontario or as a separate province altogether. Um, for a variety of reasons, I believe that it will increase um, Indigenous representation in politics. I believe that it could uh, impact women's representation in politics, as well as queer representation in politics. Um, and I believe that self-determination is an important quality, particularly when um, there is such a geographic and cultural divide between the population centers of the South and the population centers of the North. But that is neither here nor there and is not within the, the um, scope of this podcast. So, yes, um, Brennan O'Neill's um, Unpacking General's Roles in Political Representation in Canada. Um, overall, she goes through and she explains very well um, the ideas behind why there is less women in politics, um, as well as the statistical, um, such as parties uh, not giving... Uh, blank in here, one second. Not <laughs> Parties not giving women stronghold writings, or they're not set up as incumbents, which lowers their chances of winning the elections, um, as well as running fewer female representatives. Um, she discusses these, she refutes the ones that don't make sense, um, <laughs> such as women just not wanting to. Um, generally, it is set up as the idea is put forward that they can't. Um, and that's how they... <laughs> or, or like discussed before, the parties don't allow that, or the media will treat them differently so that the, the viewing audience um, reacts differently between male and female politicians. Um, this is very evident in the States, um, where you have politicians making very strange comments about periods, or um, asking how different women would react to certain things if certain things were happening, and their emotional attitudes toward things, where they would never ask these to men in a million years, because they don't see it as relevant. But as soon as a woman is involved, suddenly emotions are relevant, and I think it is important to also discuss those. Um, but yeah, this is the halfway point of today's podcast. Um, so after a quick intermission, we're going to come back and talk about um, gun culture and women in gun culture. So the next part of the podcast is going to be discussing Noah Schwartz's article and specifically the NRA, gun culture, and women within those two areas. 
this 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 struck me very close to home for multiple of reasons. The first is that I am very much involved in gun culture. Um, my my I grew up the first time I shot a gun when I was about six. Um, I started doing it regularly at around ten, eleven, um, and I've been actively hunting with my my stepfather since I was probably about three or four. Um, I've been going out to tree stands and being being engaged in it. I've gone to hunt camps, which were all male. Um, several different ones. I've been to duck hunting camps. I've been to deer hunting camps. And I have some of my earliest memories in my cottages are just the walls lined with firearms. <laughs> um, it's small armory. And so I was, and I I know no personally like personally before this, um, I had um, known of the the NRA and NRA TV um, before reading this article and before Norris' um, presentation in class. And personally, I was mortified by it. I am disgusted is too light of a word for how I feel about the NRA and their stance on guns and gun culture. Canadian gun culture is I would like to say significantly different from American culture. However, I am fully aware that's not everyone's experiences. Um, during, I will also be referencing um, the class t spent on this subject um, and the discussions we had, such as where um, some other students work at um, hunting stores such as Bass Pro Shop, um, Cabela's, and they they have horror stories of the way that, that men, specifically men, um, react to women in in their quote unquote their area and their their space, and it horrifies me because growing up there there was a vast disparity. Many more men that I know shot every almost every man that I know would shoot a gun and can shoot a gun and has had some experience doing that. But there's also a large number of women that that growing up I interacted with and I was exposed to that they would go hunting when in the bear hunting group that I go with the largest bear we ever got was shot by a 17 year old girl. And at the time I was like 12 and I like idolized her as that's yeah. She just killed a 500 pound black bear with a crossbow. I thought that was cool as hell. Uh, and um, in, in this, in this context, the, the crossbow also would count as a firearm as it shoots more than 500 feet per second. Um, in some instances, uh, specifically in Canadian law, the crossbows can count as firearms. Um, I believe in this instance it did. Um, the group mostly hunts with fire with uh, black powder weapons or firearms. Um, there is a disparity between the two. Um, she used a crossbow because she's badass. This is a go figure. Anyway, <laughs> um, not the point. Well, kind of. So when I started reading through this article and it was bringing up NRA's TV's marketing campaigns. I find um, cultural <laughs> ways people influence culture is, is fascinating to me, specifically how the NRA tried to push the idea of the defenseless woman and how every woman should be armed to defend themselves. And towards the 90s, they realized that that wasn't effective marketing. And so they switched to lifestyle where it was you know the rural outback where everyone, women have guns because they go put food on the family for their for their <laughs> food on the table for their family and i found that interesting because that that is the segment of quote-unquote america this that that i'm a part of where yeah my, my family hunts a lot of wild game and we we eat all of it we we take the ethics of hunting very seriously where 
we don't trophy hunt. We're there for the meat. We're we're here to, we're here to feed. So we don't have to we don't have to go to the grocery store for like for other than fresh vegetables and milk for the next three four months because we're eating nothing but wild game. And so it fascinated me to see these shows where it was really weird propaganda of like you know how can we stylize your gun to fit your purse and I was I was fascinated by that's the marketing that works. That's what get women's in the guns. Cause for me, it's just a gender neutral thing where I, I went to a friend's birthday party and he was, he was male. Um, but we had male identifying and we had plenty of women come to, come to his party. And we went to an abandoned gun range in the middle of the bush and we shot guns for several hours. And then we went back to his house and had dinner. And that was just seen as like a normal thing that, everyone was engaged in, everyone participated in, and everyone had a really good time. Um, and I, my aunts, I have several of my aunts don't hunt, which growing up I thought was odd because I have aunts that do. And so I always asked, you know, like, why, why doesn't um, this aunt come to the hunt camp with us? Because, you know, she's out hunting with my uncle right now and the uncle came to the hunt camp. So why, like, why, why didn't she come together? And being told, oh, well, it's, you know, not the woman's place. Okay, but she wants to do it. <laughs> and I found that really fascinating. Um, mild tangent with the NRA TV is um, also Vet TV. I find there's a lot of similarities between the two. Vet TV was created by a group of ex-US Marines, I believe, to effectively give entertainment to vets. That was their whole purpose, where they are incredibly offensive jokes. That's the, their whole thing, is that their whole gimmick is that that's it's very much grunt humor that you're you know you're in the foxhole you turn to your buddy and you say something just stupid to make them laugh and that's the whole show every one of those shows they have is that that's the entire channel is just terrible terrible jokes um and for everything from suicide to transphobic jokes to racist like everything is nothing is left untouched by that tv and i found it very similar to some of the things that were on nr tv and not specifically the women's programming, but the other programming that they have there. And the fact that they were putting up, you know, these very picturesque women doing arts and crafts with guns with these other shows that were like, oh, we redid a bank robbery with full firearms to see how feasible it is. And that blew me away that you can have these two extremes side by side and gender it so severely when my experience with it was even though it was gendered with both the hunt camps the actual the base concepts of firearms hunting enjoying just those aspects were not gendered um and so that that hit me quite hard uh yeah <laughs> that, that that was probably the hardest hitting part of the of the article and of the presentation was how how forcibly gendered these objects are when I hadn't seen them as gendered. I'd seen some of the actions with them and I had recognized that as, you know, not necessarily being the proper way of the hunt camps are, <laughs> are generally segregated, but the idea that guns are a gendered thing or that they, you know, it's not the women's place to, <laughs> to, to shoot things or to go hunting. I, I find that I found that very odd and I found I don't want to say they're positive. They're definitely not positive. I do not see the women's, the women's shows as positive in the in the way that I would want to see. Um, 
but I, I do feel as if making the gun community known that it is more, I want it to be as welcoming as possible. Um, I personally, I, I don't want to say trained is, is too far of word, but I have, I have taught my friends of the shoot. Several of them have been queer or people of color. And looking back, I'm like, Oh, that seems like that is a great thing that I've, I have taught people in the, in those demographics how to operate firearms and I'm proud of that. And so I want the firearm community to become more broad and to become more diverse. But I also don't want it to be this this gendered thing where we try and force people into neat little boxes where, ah, here's your pink rifle and here's your matching purse and, you know, off you go. I'm like, no, if 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 you want to have a pink a pink rifle, that's that's fine. By all means do that. Because customization of firearms is a really important aspect of firearm culture but i don't think that it you know if, if a woman wants to have you know the, the sleek jet back ar rifle let them have that too if someone want, if if a queer person wants to shoot a 1820s brown best musket and go you know smoke a deer with that power to you i believe you should be able to do that and it just it feels off I, i'm not i don't i don't know how to describe but when i'm watching those videos even as someone who's in the gun community, even as someone who is very positive, has a very positive outlook towards guns, and I'm aware that other people don't, but they make me, those those, those episodes, those TV shows where they have women doing arts and crafts, where they have, like NRT as a whole, makes me severely uncomfortable. And I think it's a very interesting reaction that I had to that, both to the, just the article explaining it and the videos that I've seen of it beforehand, and Noah explaining it um, with his PowerPoint presentation and going through it. It, it made me feel gross <laughs> that I that I had um, that I operate firearms and I didn't like that feeling because it is a big part of my culture. When I'm back home, that is a huge part of how I grew up and how I was raised. And I am aware of I like I like I would like to believe that when looking being doing self reflection, I'm aware of the negative aspects of um, both the culture and the, like the individual aspects of the culture and as culture as a whole. But I would like to believe that there are positive aspects of it too, and I do believe that the different ethics and morals that I I got from being raised in the bush and being told, you know, you know, the life lessons of gun safety and you know, um, the ethics of hunting, and also just shooting things with my friends, like just going and plinking pop cans, I do think that had an, a positive um, aspect to my upbringing, and I want it to be shared with other people. But not like this. <laughs> I think it's probably the, the the best way to explain it is that that's I I don't I don't see this as being the most a good way forward to 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 the NRA. If their goal was just make the gun community more diverse, I would say that this was a misguided propaganda tool, knowing that the NRI NRA's real goal is just hamper common sense gun legislation in the states which I, I think don't go far enough even the stuff they want to propose in the states I don't believe it goes far enough but their goal is to crush that at every opportunity and just have a large enough voter base that they can crush that um, I see this as a, a, like a very <laughs> malice like there's a lot of malice in this in, in intent for these propaganda pieces and so that's I can't agree with them I do, I do not like them at all <laughs> that was my takeaway from this from this article was uh, uh, vile disgust and, and wanting to do it better. 
Um, I wish that I could set up my own <laughs> NRA TV counter like um, opposition channel and you know ha- try and have positive aspects of the gun community. Um, yeah, those are my that's my thoughts on that. So uh, thank you for cut for listening to my podcast and. Um, who knows, maybe we'll do some more Brody Showdies, but uh, thank you and have a great day.